Amen. Sisters, good to see you again. Um, <clears throat> I was not able to listen to the last meeting yesterday regarding Hannah, but I did, I did read it. And um, <clears throat> I think that the story of Hannah is somewhat central to this entire training. Um, you know, I made a point in a previous message that it was God who created human beings, male and female. It was God who ordained that marriage would take place between a a biological male and a biological female. And it was God's ordination that the females would experience motherhood. So when we pray for these things with a view to God's economy, we're actually praying for the fulfillment of God's eternal economy. We're not praying a selfish prayer. Now, we may also have a selfish prayer. That's why I said our prayer for these things must be with a view towards God's economy. Hannah's prayer for a son, <clears throat> you have to say it, it was for her. She had a desperate need, but it wasn't only for her. She prayed with a view towards God's need for a new priesthood to be raised up, and she consecrated her son, who was not yet born, to participate in that priesthood. And it was through that line that David the king came forth. It was through that line that Christ the Messiah came forth. So if you read it in a natural way, you just think, well, Hannah was mad because Penina was having children and she was not, and she was aggravated, she was provoked. That's a natural view. God orchestrated this. God orchestrated it. God arranged Hannah's environment. And as I said yesterday, having children, according to the Bible, having children is not merely the result of a biological act. Whether we have children or not, they are given to us by the Lord. Whether they are male or female, that's the Lord's decision. How many we will have is also his decision. We may have many preferences, but in the end, God determines these things. Well, um, I hope we can see this as a general principle. It's okay, and it's right, and it's proper to pray for our legitimate human needs. But we always need to aim the direction of our prayer at God's economy and the the verse that shows us this most clearly is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 48. 
that verse says that when the children of Israel should would pray to Jehovah, they should pray toward three things, towards the holy land, towards the holy temple, and towards the holy city. In other words, the direction of their prayer was God's economy. The holy land is Christ as our good land. The holy temple is the church as the enlargement of Christ. And the holy city is the kingdom as the consummation of the church. And ultimately, that holy city is the new Jerusalem. So we need to be trained in our prayer not to pray in a natural way. For example, for example, let's say a sister who is very beloved to you becomes ill. Well, there are at least two ways to pray for her. You might immediately respond with tears out of your affection for this sister. And you may ask the Lord desperately to heal her. Well, I wouldn't say not to do that, but let me ask you a question. Are you sure that the Lord wants to heal her? And how are you sure of that? Are you sure that the Lord did not allow this illness for another purpose in order to mature our sister in life? We need to contact the Lord before we immediately react to situations. Otherwise, we may find out that we're actually, we think we're praying for God's economy. We're actually praying against it. That's possible. I hope you understand that that could happen. You know, in the book, The Prayer Ministry of the Church, Brother Nee has a word which I appreciate very much. He says we need to guard against prayers that are not prayers. In other words, we do a lot of things which we call prayer, but they don't count as prayer. Just like prophesying, we do a lot of speaking that we call prophesying. Some of it is prophesying and some of it is not. Um, In principle, it's the same with our prayer. So I'm trying to open up this message by giving you the central burden. And I don't know why it came out in every one of my messages, but the central burden is that we, even in our prayer, we cannot live in our natural life. We cannot initiate prayers according to our human emotions or our human thoughts. If we do, You may call that prayer, but God does not count that as prayer. 
Now, before we get into the outline, I just want to make a couple of brief comments. <clears throat> the title of this message is The Prayer of the Sisters. Maybe you would interpret that to mean that we should have a particular meeting for the sisters to pray. Well, I would just tell, I don't want to argue about it, but I would just tell you there's no such thing in the New Testament. There's no such pattern. There isn't, in the Word, there is no such thing as a sister's prayer meeting. I'm not against it, but I'm just saying. Every time we find the sisters praying in the New Testament, they're praying with the brothers. When they prayed in the house of Mary, the brothers were there. When they prayed on the day of Pentecost, the brothers were there. Um, in principle, okay, just take the principle. In principle, a large gathering of saints, which, which could be considered a meeting of the church, should be headed up by the brothers. That's the spiritual principle. But everything in the Bible has two sides. And now let me speak the other side. The sisters have a particular portion in prayer that the brothers do not have. I certainly recognize this. The brothers have a particular portion in the work that the sisters do not have. But the sisters have a particular... doesn't mean the sisters don't participate in the work. They do. But they have a different portion than the brothers. And the brothers also participate in prayer. But they have a different portion than the sisters. So... The emphasis of this outline is that we need everybody to pray, the brothers and the sisters. But we also need to understand that the sisters have a particular portion in the matter of prayer. That's why it's significant in Acts chapter 12 that the prayer meeting of the church, I don't know, it must not have been the whole church because Jerusalem was a really, really big church. But anyway, there was a prayer meeting in the home of Mary. And that's significant. It shows that Mary had the burden to pray. And in particular, she had a burden to pray for Peter, who was carrying out the ministry. This is one of the functions that the sisters have always carried out in the Lord's recovery. And may I just say a word about it before we go on? And that is, um, when Brother Lee was with us, we all understood that we, we needed to pray very much for our brother because he was the main person who carried out the ministry. Well, today we don't have one, 
who is the main one. Today we have a group of blended brothers who carry out the ministry under the Lord's assignment. And I hope, saints, that we will pray for these brothers in the same way that we prayed for Brother Lee. They're not Brother Lee. None of, none of them is Brother Lee. But collectively, they fulfill the same function that our brother fulfilled when he was among us. And I just say this much to you as a brother who is involved in the ministry. They are a real target of the enemy. They are a real threat to the enemy. They're a real target of the enemy. They very much need your prayer. Uh, one other point before I read the outline with you, and that is we're in a different stage of the church life today. We're in a very advanced stage and practice of the church life. Um, and this outline is mainly emphasizing the prayer meeting of the church. I just want to broaden it slightly to say that we need many sisters to pray with vital companions. This is the up-to-date practice of the church life. Yes, you still need to come to the church prayer meeting and pray together with the brothers, but we need the sisters to pray in twos and threes and this would be a tremendous strengthening to the church. And I've just observed over the years, the sisters are more likely to do that than the brothers. I don't know why. Um, it's not that common for the brothers to call up a different brother every day and pray on the phone but it's quite common for the sisters to do that. And I can't explain it. My wife is one. She prays with a different sister every day. Most of those sisters aren't even in our locality. Some of them are, some aren't. The brothers just don't do that as a general rule. Some do, but as a general rule, they don't. And And this is another illustration of the particular portion of the sisters. So sisters, I hope you will consider these different aspects. Number one, pray for the work. Pray for the work. The sisters are not assigned the portion of the ministry, but you participate in the ministry when you pray for it. Number two, pray in the church with the brothers it's a tragedy, it's a tragedy in Christianity today that there are Christian groups that do not allow the sisters to pray in public. You know, the sisters are always more than 50% of the church. That's just the way it always works out. And that means more than half of the body does not function in the church meeting if the sisters didn't pray or if the sisters did not prophesy. That's tragic. And 
according to the revelation of the New Testament, there's three things that every one of us should do, whether we are a brother or a sister. We should pray, we should prophesy, and we should preach the gospel. And that gospel preaching includes shepherding. All of us should do that, brother or sister. All of us can pray. There's a universal priesthood. That priesthood includes all the sisters. All of us should prophesy. That's the clear word in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And every one of us is a branch in the vine to bear fruit. So all of us should preach the gospel and shepherd. And the sisters you have a little advantage here because your motherhood gives you a built-in way to preach the gospel and shepherd over the long term. So let's fulfill that commission. Okay, I think with this understanding, we can come to the outline. I, I want to read through this outline with you fairly quickly because I have an additional point that's very much related to the outline, but it's not on the outline. It's a development of one of the points. So I start with Roman numeral one. In the church life, the sisters should take the lead in the matter of prayer. Be a little careful with this. It doesn't mean that the sisters should initiate the prayer burdens in the prayer burden, in the prayer meeting of the church. No, let the brothers do that. That's their portion. Let them initiate that. But when it says the sisters should take the lead, it means the sisters should fully exercise their particular portion of prayer. They have a portion of prayer that the brothers don't have. In Acts 12.12, 12, we see that in the house of Mary, a considerable, considerable number were assembled together praying. I wonder how many. I just don't know. You know, the church in Jerusalem was a really big church. I just have a picture that Mary's house was wall to wall with people praying. I just, it's what it sounds like to me. A considerable number were there praying. Wow, I like that. What if all our homes were like that? A considerable number of saints coming together praying. We all know for that to happen in our home, that would depend on the sister, not so much on the brother. This indicates that the prayer concerning Peter was offered mainly in the home of a sister. Very meaningful, because we have to remember who Peter is. At this time in the book of Acts, Peter was taking the lead in the ministry. Of course, later on, Paul was taking the lead in the ministry. But at this point, Peter was taking the lead in the ministry. Mary knew that, and she was very burdened to pray for Peter because he was suffering persecution. 
And through that prayer, not just Mary's prayer, but through the prayer of that considerable number, the Lord miraculously released Peter from prison. I just love this story. And he showed up at the prayer meeting. Can you imagine? While they were praying for him, he showed up at the prayer meeting. And one of them said, wait a minute, that can't be Peter. It must be his ghost. (laughs) Oh, that's so wonderful. You know, one time we were having a prayer meeting with the students, which we do. Uh, We have a, a weekly prayer meeting with our university students to pray for the, uh, the campus and the new ones. And uh, it's on the Lord's Day evening. And one Lord's Day evening, we were all together in a, we have a, a big house near the campus. We were all together in that big house praying. And we were praying for a brother who is, one of the children of the saints who was, who was backsliding and we were praying desperately for him. And right in the middle of our prayer for him, he arrived at that prayer meeting and he hadn't been in that prayer meeting for a year. And when he walked into the prayer meeting, he heard the saints praying for him. (laughs) You may think, Oh, that's terrible. No, that cherished him to the uttermost. In fact, he got, he got recovered. He got recovered through that kind of prayer. Okay, uh, uh, D, according to the basic principle in the word, the activities should be carried out by the brothers. Not every activity, but you know, we're talking about the work of the ministry and those kind of things. And for the most part, the sisters should do the supporting work behind the scene. The main supporting work is to pray. This was exactly the situation in Peter's case. After he was released, he went to Mary's house, where many of the saints were still praying. Oh, I would love to see that. When he walked into that prayer meeting, can you imagine the rejoicing that took place? You know, uh, sisters, we all know this, but let me just say that we frequently underestimate the power of prayer. We overestimate the value of our work And we underestimate the power of our prayer. So sometimes we say things like this. Well, all we can do is pray. And what we really mean is we can't do anything. No, that prayer, if it's real prayer, it's much more powerful than work. Much more powerful. So... In this, we need the prayer of faith, which we covered this in the Memorial Day conference. I I don't know if you've digested that yet. Um, By coincidence, I shared that message. 
And uh, I myself was very helped by it because we need the faith. Prayer means a lot. It, it's not inconsequential. It's more important than any other work. And prayer is a work. It's a ministry, the prayer ministry of the church. It's a, it's a real work. It's a real ministry. Okay, Roman numeral two, we should not allow circumstances related to time or place to affect our prayer. As we learn to exercise our spirit and to pray in spirit, circumstances related to time or place should not hinder us from releasing our spirit in prayer. We all know as soon as we decide to pray, all kinds of things will happen. Before we, before we decided to pray, everything was calm. Now I'm going to pray. Ah, the telephone rings. Someone comes to the door. The baby starts crying. Some, some other trouble happens. These are environmental circumstances that are raised up by the evil one to frustrate our prayer. We need a strong exercise of the spirit to resist being affected by the environmental circumstances because they're going to come anytime we want to pray. You decide to go to the prayer meeting Oh, all of a sudden you get a very, very bad headache. You didn't have a headache all day long, but now you want to go to the prayer meeting. Oh, or you just feel, suddenly you feel very, very weak, very, very tired. You have to understand this is the enemy's attack and we have to exercise our spirit to to follow through in our prayer. And if we do, then we find out that was just an attack. Once we exercise our spirit, the supply comes and that attack goes away. Okay, A says, if we allow circumstances of time and place to affect our prayers, we will encounter many situations in which our spirit is closed. You know, here I just remind you of Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, the Lord took his three companions. They weren't vital companions. They, they turned out to be unvital companions. Peter, James, and John, he took them with him to the garden of Gethsemane and listen to what he said to them. You know, this is the God man, Jesus. He's at the most difficult moment of his entire human life. And he opens up to Peter, James and John. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto 
death. Watch with me. So he just asked them to pray. And then he began to pray. And he came back an hour later and found them asleep. And he woke them up. Then he went and prayed a second time. And he came back and found them asleep again. And then he prayed a third time. And he came back and found them asleep. And do you remember his word to them? He said, after the third time, he said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, he was telling them, brothers, if you had just exercised your spirit, you could have prayed. You could have. You could have prayed as long as I did. But you didn't exercise your spirit. You stayed in the weakness of your flesh. So you fell asleep. Well, we've all had this experience. But let's learn from the Lord. This is the time. The time when it comes to pray is the time when we need the strongest exercise of our spirit. The enemy resists our prayer more than anything else. Okay, B says, our exercise should not change simply because we are by ourselves or because we are with other brothers and sisters. Our exercise in the prayer meeting should be the same as our exercise in our morning time with the Lord. Well, here the point is that if we have no exercise in prayer in our daily life, and then we come one hour a week and try to pray in the prayer meeting, we're going to find it very, very difficult to do that. Um, the, the best thing is we are exercised to pray in at least three ways. We pray individually. We pray with vital companions and we pray in the church meeting. And if we will do all three of these, when that big church meeting comes along, we will already be exercised. I'll tell you a little story. Um, in 1974, I was a freshman in the university and I met the saints. They preached the gospel to me. I, I came into the church life and uh, I came into the church life in Huntington beach, California. And one of the elders there was brother Dick Taylor. And uh, I know many of you know, brother Dick. So that's why I'm telling you this story. And in those days, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, there were 300 saints in the church in Huntington Beach. And you know how many came to the prayer meeting? 300. And if you wanted to get into the front of that meeting, you had to come very, very early because the saints 
were so eager to get up there. Well, you have to understand, I just got saved. I just came into the church life. But the young brothers who I was with, they they dragged me up to the front row. And they sat me right next to Dick Taylor. And, you know, that prayer meeting, it was so loud. There were 300 people. It was so loud. The only way you could pray is you had to stand up and you had to pray very loudly. Well, I was an 18-year-old kid. I was terrified. And plus I was sitting next to this giant, you know, and of course when he prays, the earth shakes, you know. Um, and uh, it, we got about halfway through. I think it was my very first prayer meeting. We got about halfway through it. And Brother Dick starts elbowing me. And he says, hey, get off the bench. Get off the bench. I said, I don't know what to do. He said, just stand up. So so I did. I jumped to my feet. And I just prayed at the top of my lungs. And you know what? I had a breakthrough. After that, I never had trouble praying again in the prayer meeting because I figured I'll never do that bad of a job again. I already did the worst I could ever do. I already completely embarrassed myself. So now I have nowhere to go but up. (laughs) Well, here's my point. It does take a real denial of ourself to pray. Actually, saints, the three things I mentioned, prayer, prophesying, and gospel preaching, you think about it. To do those three things, you have to deny yourself. I've told you the story before when I was learning to prophesy Another brother, not Dick, another brother told me, he said, if you want to learn how to prophesy, here's the secret. Always do the opposite of what you want to do. He said, if you want to speak first, speak last. If you want to speak last, speak first. If you want to speak quietly, speak loudly. If you want to speak loudly, speak quietly. In other words, the secret of prophesying is to deny the self. And we all have this experience in the gospel. The self never wants to preach the gospel. The, self, the flesh never wants to do that. It always resists that. Earlier today, I had the opportunity to preach the gospel. Thank the Lord. I did. I opened my mouth. But you know what? Even after all these years, i got to go against myself to do that. Every single time. Every single time. And that's the way prayer is. We have to, actually, you could say that prayer is the denial of the self. So these two very much go together. 
Now, C says, some brothers and sisters come to the prayer meeting determined not to pray. I have never understood this. I, I wasn't brought up that way in the church life. And I have observed that some saints, they come to the prayer meeting every week they have absolutely no intention of praying, but they come. And I, I don't criticize them, but why would you do that? Why wouldn't you pray? What's hindering you from praying? It's the flesh. It's the self. It's our disposition. We have to break through that by the exercise of our spirit. A sister may feel exhausted from her busy day and be willing to let other pray, others pray while she only says, Amen. Another sister may feel that it is not her place to pray. Well, let me say something about learning to pray. I'll use a little analogy. I hope it works. I hope you can follow me. Um, I know that uh, New Zealanders like rugby. You know, they really don't play that sport in America very much. But I know about the All Blacks. I, I heard about it. And, uh, you know, the way to become skillful in playing a sport is you play that sport against people who are much better than you. That's how you become very, very skillful. And I played a lot of sports when I was young and, you know, nobody likes to lose, but actually you don't learn by winning. And you don't learn by playing against people who are not as good as you. You learn by playing against people who are better. Okay, now let me make the analogy. As a young brother, I got tremendous help in the matter of prayer from my next-door neighbor. You know who my next-door neighbor was? My wife and I lived next door to Sister Beth Rademacher, who was a co-worker of Watchman Nee. And she was an elderly sister who was very, very mature in the Lord. And my wife and I would go over to her apartment. We lived in a little apartment, and they lived in the same building there. And we would go over to her apartment and we would just sit in her living room and listen to her talk about her experience with Brother Nee and the mainland China. And then when she prayed, it was like this. If you were sitting there, now I was a novice, if you were sitting there praying with her, you would say to yourself, I wonder if I've ever prayed a real prayer in my entire life. After I've heard this prayer, 
I, I'm not even sure I'm regenerated. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta rethink everything. I, I've never, I never heard this kind of prayer. Well, isn't that wonderful? And I'm so glad that in New Zealand, we've got a range of saints, and we do have mature saints. And I very much encourage you, younger sisters. Learn from the older sisters. They know some things. They have learned some things. And, um, yeah, I learned from older brothers, too. I, I'm still learning from the older co-workers. But I have to tell you, I learned a lot from that older sister. Okay. Uh, when many... Brothers and sisters do not open their mouths. The entire meeting is heavy and dead. We must turn this around. This is right. This is right. Uh, if you're a quiet person, maybe you don't need to pray a lot, but you should still pray. <laughs> we should all pray. We should all pray. We should all prophesy. We should all preach the gospel. And we can't use our shyness. We can't use our disposition as an excuse. You know why? We have a spirit of power and of love and of a sober mind. We have to exercise that spirit. From this time forward, we must learn to pray at every time in spirit, regardless of the situation. This is Paul's word. And I'd just like to point out to you the obvious. Where does this occur in the book of Ephesians? It's in chapter 6. You know, the book of Ephesians is progressive. Uh, in chapter 4, we have the built-up body of Christ, which is the full-grown new man. That full-grown new man is the bride in chapter 5. And that bride in chapter 5 is the warrior in chapter 6. In other words, the prayer in Ephesians 6 is the prayer of the overcomers in this age. So this is a big thing. If we can enter into this kind of prayer, this is very much related to an overcoming life. Okay, E, it is difficult to have an open spirit when we do not have a spirit that is strong, living, full, and uplifted. If we desire to have a strong, living, full and uplifted spirit, we must spend time in prayer. Well, <clears throat> prayer is like a spiritual skill. In a sense, in a sense, we all know how to do it. In another sense, we really need to learn, and we have a long way to go. It's... Um, it's a learning. I would say it's a lifelong learning. Um, I'm still learning. 
but I'm, I'm so thankful to the Lord that through the ministry and through the shepherding of those who have gone before us, we can learn and we can advance and we should have this aspiration. Lord, increase the quantity of my prayer. I do not pray enough. And Lord, increase the quality of my prayer. A number of years ago, I had a experience where I was praying with some brothers and we prayed a long time. It was a prayer with some coworkers. We prayed a long, long, long time. When I say we prayed a long time, I mean, we prayed for four hours without stopping. And then at the end of those four hours, one of the brothers, I thought he was going to tell us to take a break, but instead of telling us to take a break, he said, okay, now let's all pray for the next hour individually. So I, I went outside the meeting hall, and I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm exhausted. I just prayed for four hours straight with not a very large number of brothers, and now the brothers want me to pray for another hour by myself. I'm not sure I can do it. Guess which verse the Lord brought to me at that moment? Matthew 26. Were you not able to watch with me for one hour? And then I told the Lord, I said, Lord, from now on, don't call me Mark anymore. Just call me Peter. That's who I am. That's who I am. I, yeah, I, that's me. That's me. But, you know, I began in that hour to open to the Lord and to pray. And before I knew it, I had prayed an hour. And then I went back and prayed three more hours with the brothers. I learned something. And by the way, we did that for three days. And I learned something. This was a number quite a few years ago. And here's what I learned the capacity of our spirit to pray is much greater than we think it is. It's much greater than we think it is. We actually use a very small part of the capacity of our spirit because we haven't pushed it. You know, it's like physical exercise. You push it. You learn, hey, wait a minute. I can do more than I thought I could. And, you know, the spirit, unlike physical exercise, you know, the capacity of our spirit to pray, it's unlimited. It doesn't have a limit. That's why we can pray unceasingly. So we should always be aspiring, Lord, increase my prayer. Maybe right now I can't pray very long. Well, let's just stretch it out a little bit. If I can pray for five minutes, I'll, I'll try to pray for 10 minutes. If I can pray for 10 minutes, I'll pray for 15. Let me tell you, to pray for an hour, it shouldn't be an extraordinary thing. It should be a common thing. 
that we could do that. And let's set a high goal. And then secondly, not we don't care just for quantity. We want real prayer. We want the quality of prayer. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Let's keep going. Um, Roman numeral three, we need to learn to restrict ourselves and turn to our spirit in prayer. This is a big, big point. One of the reasons we have difficulty praying is that our inward being is very, very busy. Our mind is really busy. Our emotions are really busy. Our will is busy. Um, And because our inward being is so distracted and occupied, when we go to pray, we really can't break through to contact the Lord. And instead, what we pray is just a kind of natural prayer. So here it says, many times our distracting thoughts are a frustration to our prayers. They cause us to turn away from our spirit so that we cannot pray. If we are undisciplined and loose before God, we will be unable to be calm. I really would like to emphasize this word with you. We cannot pray unless our inward being is calm. Our mind, our emotions, and our will. And I know I'm the same as you. It is not easy to stop the inward being, is it? Let me... um, I'll try to quote it to you. Let me quote a verse to you. You can look it up and see if I got it right. It's Psalm 131, verse 2. It says this, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child is my soul within me like a weaned child with its mother. You know, you can consider the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. You can consider the book of Psalms like an ascending, an ascending staircase, 150 steps up, up, up. And We can call this staircase the path of the overcomers. Psalm 131 is very close to Psalm 150, isn't it? That means this experience that we're talking about, being able to stop our inward being, being able to calm our inward being in order to pray, It's not an elementary experience, so don't be discouraged if you find it difficult to do. We all find it difficult to do. 
It's an advanced experience. To calm our inward being actually requires a very strong spirit. That's the secret. And we need to learn to do this. Real prayer involves before we open our mouth, before we request things from the Lord, before we initiate anything, we empty ourselves, empty our thoughts, empty our feelings, empty our intentions, empty our cares, empty our concerns. We stop all the activity in our soul by the exercise of our spirit. This takes time. It takes time to learn. I'm still learning it. But I tell you, it can be learned. It can be learned. By the Lord's grace, if we learn to control ourselves, our thoughts will come under control. When we stop to pray, we will immediately be calm. And it will be easy for us to turn to our spirit. We all have the experience. We all have both experiences. We do have the experience of switching off the soul and switching on the spirit. And then we all have the experience of not being able to switch off the soul. Well, this is a learning. And this needs to be part of our pursuit, both individually and corporately in the matter of prayer. This is something we need to learn, this kind of calm. Okay, uh, B, please allow me to say that I have seen many brothers and sisters, sisters more so than brothers, who are very loose in their speaking. This does not mean that they use unclean words, but they are undisciplined in their speech. This is a nice way to say that the sisters are prone to gossip. See, I told you, I, I, I can say anything I want because I'm thousands of miles away. And I noticed on Zoom, they have a little thing on Zoom for reactions, but they only have positive reactions. I think we'll contact Zoom and ask them to add one where you can throw virtual tomatoes at the speaker. If you don't like what he says, you can click on reactions and throw a virtual tomato. Well, it's true. The sisters do have a particular portion in prayer, but they also have a tendency for loose talk. The brothers aren't as good at prayer, but they don't have quite as much of a tendency to gossip. We need to help one another. We need to help one another. Okay, small one. Since they are undisciplined and loose in their speaking, their thoughts fly all over the world. After speaking in this way, they may need to wait until the next day before they are able to pray, since they are unable to be calm and turn 
into their spirit. You know, in a certain locality I, I was in, not, not, my, not my present locality, in case anybody's watching, um, in a certain locality I observed that sisters came together and prayed, and they talked for 55 minutes, and they prayed for five minutes. And I said, what are you doing? And they said, well, we have to know what to pray. I said, by talking for 55 minutes, did you learn what to pray? They said, oh, yeah, we got all the details. I said, that's completely wrong. Spend 55 minutes to contact the Lord. Then you will understand what to pray. You don't, you're not going to understand what to pray by talking among yourselves. The Romans 8 says, we do not know for what we should pray as is fitting. So when we come together, we should talk for 55 minutes so that we will know. Did I quote it correctly? No. We do not know for what we should pray as is fitting, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The principle is this. We don't know. And we're not going to find out by talking to each other. We're going to find out by contacting the indwelling spirit. The indwelling spirit within us will initiate the prayer burden. And that will be real prayer. That will be genuine prayer. I'm sorry if I offended anyone. I'm speaking frankly. But we're having a training. And we desperately need the proper prayer function of the sisters. So uh, please don't take it personally. Number two, even if they wake up early in the morning, they may still have all kinds of thoughts racing through their mind, and therefore they cannot pray. It's strange, isn't it? As soon as we wake up in the morning, it's already there. Everyone who is plentiful in words, cannot pray. When a person speaks continuously, his entire being is led astray. He has no way to stop his being, and he cannot pray. Therefore, a person who learns to pray must learn to control his speaking. He must learn to restrict his being not only in one thing, but in everything. You know, I related to you this time when the co-workers had three days of prayer, seven hours a day plus one hour a day of personal prayer. And I want to testify to you, nobody spoke. Nobody spoke. We had 24 hours of prayer. Nobody spoke. We didn't have one bit of speaking about what to pray for. All we did was contact the indwelling spirit and receive a burden. 
and pray. Of course, this was a group of co-workers. They're mature brothers, so they were able to do that. But I hope this will encourage you and not discourage you. We should be able to do this. At the day of Pentecost, the sisters prayed with the brothers for 10 days. I don't believe they had a one-hour prayer meeting each of those 10 days. I don't think so. I think they probably had about an eight-hour prayer meeting each of those days. And we can do that. We can do that. Okay, now, this next point is really my main burden. And then I can cover the last point more quickly. It says we need to learn to behold God before we pray. A says we must first touch God before we can pray. This means that our spirit must touch the spirit of God. On this point, I don't have time to elaborate, but I'm going to recommend something to you, and I'm going to speak very briefly on it. We have a book in the ministry, which actually is referenced on this outline. The title of the book is How to Enjoy God and How to Practice the Enjoyment of God. And chapter five of that book, the title is How to Enjoy God in Prayer. Would you like to know how to enjoy God in prayer? And it gives 10 points. And the sequence of these 10 points is critical. So I'm going to go through them with you very briefly. And then I'm going to recommend to you that if you want to learn how to enjoy God in prayer, go back and study this chapter. Again, I just say pay attention to the se to sequence. Number one, appearing before God. This is from Psalm 42, verse 2. The psalmist puts it in the form of a question. He says, when will I come and appear? before God. So the first step, and, and I hesitate to use the word step because I hope you wouldn't take this as a formula. It's not a formula. It's more of a pattern, okay? The first step is we have to have a realization. I am right now, because I'm going to pray, I'm going to appear before God himself. I need to prepare myself. You know, if I was going to appear before the president, I would take a little care. What if I'm going to appear before God? That's the first thing. Then point number two, be silent be silent. And you can read it, but this corresponds to the point that I mentioned already, being calm, being calm. 
we don't immediately spout forth words. We first appear before God, then we're quiet. We're quiet outwardly, and we're quiet inwardly. Then, and for that point, you can use the verse I gave you, Psalm 131, verse 2. Then the next one corresponds to the outline, beholding his beauty. It's not time to pray yet. First, we need to behold his beauty. This is Psalm 27. Um, Is that right? I think it's Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, uh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord. Before we immediately speak to him, spend some time to behold him. Then, inquire. That's the same verse in Psalm 27. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, this word inquire, we don't mean to ask the Lord for anything. This kind of inquiring is like this. Lord, here I am. I'm coming to you. I'm calm. I have things I would like to talk to you about. But right now I'm inquiring of you. Is there anything in your heart concerning me? that I need to know about? Is there anything that you want to say to me? We inquire. We inquire. Okay, then the next point. Wait. Wait. We just made an inquiry. Don't rush to say something. Wait. Wait for an answer. Many verses in the Psalms tell us, wait on the Lord. It's something we have to learn, to wait. You know, in general, before I go on, let me just say, in general, our problem with prayer is we're way too quick. We are way too fast. We need to slow down, slow way down. After we inquire, we wait. Then, after we wait, or while we are waiting, we are musing. We are musing. Here we can use Psalm 119, verse 15 says, I will muse upon your precepts. And Psalm 104, verse 34, may my musing be sweet to him. Well, you have to study that word, but to muse is to consider him. See, we still haven't 
we're still not asking him for anything. We're considering this one who we have come to. Then the next thing, while we are musing, our musing will turn into worshiping. We will worship him. It's really true, isn't it? When you muse upon him, the natural issue is you worship him. Then what comes after worship? Praise, praise him, which is the consummation of the book of Psalms. Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's the consummation. Then, after all of that, number nine, now we intercede. Now we intercede. And the picture of this kind of intercession, and I I can just say something very briefly. It's the picture in Genesis chapter 19 when Abraham interceded for Lot. The picture is this. Abraham actually had no intention of interceding for Lot. Abraham didn't even know that Lot needed intercession. How did he find out? You know how he found out? Two angels plus the Lord himself came to visit Abraham He invited them into his tent. He had a meal with them. And he had a long fellowship with them. And then, as they were leaving, at the very end of that fellowship, the Lord said, How can I hide what is in my heart from my friend Abraham? And he began to talk to Abraham about Sodom. And then Abraham interceded for Sodom. Can you see this? He first had a long fellowship. Then the last point, number 10, is also from uh, Genesis 19. It says that Abraham left after God had finished his speaking. Not after Abraham had finished his speaking, but after God had finished his speaking. You know, many times in our prayer, we skip the first eight steps. We go right to intercession. And we say our intercession, and then we say, amen. And that amen means, bye-bye, see you later, God. He never got a chance to say a word. We said everything we wanted to say, but it was a one-way conversation. I hope you will take this as an encouragement. This chapter, from the day I read it, this chapter has been instructing me, and I am practicing very much according to this chapter, to slow down and to speak with the Lord and to allow him to speak with me and to learn to calm my inner being so that we could have this kind of prayer. Isn't it lovely? 
I really encourage you to read that chapter, but I, I have to go on here. When we want to pray, we must free ourselves from all affairs, stop our mental activities, and turn our entire being from outward things to our spirit. We must learn to exercise our spirit to touch God's spirit. Then we will learn to behold God. Well, sisters, beholding God has a practical application. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about beholding him for transformation, right? But what's the context of 2 Corinthians 3? It's the reading of the scriptures. It says, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies upon their heart. But whenever the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Here I just point out that to help us, to help focus our wandering mind, the Word of God is a tremendous help to behold the Lord. When we muse we muse on the word of God. That's, that's the musing. If we cannot turn to our spirit or be calm, we can start by reading the word. It's very, very practical. We can then use the words of the Bible to calm our thoughts in order to turn to our spirit. We can turn any words that touch us into prayer. This is an easy way to turn to the Spirit. Then we will behold God. We will see God. Our Spirit will contact God. And we will be able to offer genuine prayers. Okay, I just read the last point. The brothers and sisters should coordinate together to pray. If only the brothers pray in a meeting and the sisters do not respond, our meetings will be like a paralyzed body, which is neither beautiful nor living. After a few brothers pray, a few sisters should join in. And after a few sisters pray, a few brothers should join in with more prayer. If the brothers' prayers are too quick, the sisters may not be able to keep up. This requires the brothers to be willing to pause and wait so that more sisters can join in to pray. Furthermore, when there is a pause in the middle of a strong atmosphere of prayer, the sisters should realize that the brothers want them to join in. At such a time, the more experienced sisters need to pray immediately. If the experienced sisters do not pray, the young, meek, and timid sisters will be less likely to follow. Then, when a sister joins in to fill the time created by the pause, the brothers need to realize that other sisters may follow. Thus, there's no need for the brothers to rush to pray again. They should leave time for more sisters to pray. We hope 
that the brothers and sisters will begin to pray in coordination in a strong way. Typically, more sisters than brothers attend the meetings, so they should be allowed to function more. This will fill the meeting with enjoyment. If the sisters have more opportunities to pray, they will be more released. The brothers have a responsibility to give the sisters more opportunities to pray, and the sisters have a responsibility to offer prayers at the right time. This coordination will allow the functions of the brothers and sisters to be carried out in a proper way. Okay, I, I think I've spoken enough. I'll stop here. Now let's pray, and then we can prophesy. <laughs>